Welcome in. It is very late, almost the wee early morning hours, late Wednesday night, January 13th. It'll be, we'll be recording this. It'll, it'll post on Thursday, January 14th. Uh, Peyton Gallagher, Gabe Schwartz here for a new episode of Heat Check. It's kind of been a while. Um, a lot has happened. Um, and we have, yeah, yeah. Why is that, Gabe? we have a decent Forget amount of, ex- we have a decent amount of explaining to do um, as we haven't really had a show since when was the last time it was a couple of days after the new year. Um, and I think, I, I don't know if we have as much explaining to do as much as I have some explaining to do. Um, so a little story time in the, as Peyton throws on and uses the updated zoom features to put a mask on his face. Um, in this, in this world, this unprecedented, I hate using that word, um, world that we live in. Um, I had mentioned on our last episode that we were going to um, be transitioning to my return to Phoenix as Peyton already has been in Phoenix for about what a month now, more than a month now. Yeah. This is coming up on a month. Yeah. So you, you've been back. I was trying to get back. I actually did get back, um, drove to Phoenix this past Friday Um Stayed in Airbnb that night. Supposed to move into my apartment on Saturday. I was moving into my apartment on Saturday. Got like three quarters of the way done. Almost completely done packing or unpacking and setting up the room. Found out that my brother had tested positive. So I left my apartment, um, went back to the Airbnb because I didn't have any food and I didn't want to quarantine in my apartment as as a close contact. Um, with a bunch of randos that I had no idea who they were and, and all that and such. Didn't seem like an ideal shout scenario. Out shout <laughs> yeah. out to the randos. Yeah, shout out to the randos. Um, drove all the way back on Sunday, so I wouldn't recommend driving from Kansas to Phoenix and Phoenix to Kansas two times in three days. Um, not a lot of fun, but back, um, waiting to see. I will test again on Friday to see if I, I have the cocoa. Um, the Rona. Um, are I kind of, calling it the cocoa? That's what I've heard. Some some people are calling it the cocoa. Um, and if I do, that will delay my return to Phoenix even longer. But they will not hold us down. We will find a way to pod together at some point in the within a calendar year of of our last show in March. So that's the background. Um, that's why we haven't podcasted for a while. That's ha- why we haven't done these shows, but, um, our shows will be returning to the blaze radio airwaves, I believe next Wednesday. Is that correct? Yeah. Next Thursday, next, Thursday. next, next Thursday. Okay. So next Wednesday night's recording will be played yep. on blaze on Thursday. You can listen to that on blazeradioonline.com. There's the quick little plug. Um, but in terms of things that we missed while we were gone, the national championship happened uh, for a season that, as you put it, Peyton, one conference wanted to play. Another conference did not want to play. Their best teams played against each other in the national championship. And the conference that wanted to play looked like the conference that wanted to play from the whole time. Alabama put an absolute whooping on Ohio state. So what stood out to you from that 
Um, and what were your, your takeaways from an, another Nick Saban title, number seven? I'm just going to get this crack off at Ohio State, acknowledging the fact that it was a tremendous season for the Buckeyes, and they should be very proud. They beat Clemson. A big accomplishment for Ryan Day. But I'm just going to make the joke anyway. Maybe Ohio State shouldn't have pushed so hard to play this year because Alabama was not who you wanted. Everybody says, we want Bama. Uh-uh, not when Devontae Smith is taking part. That, that's what I took away is that Bama, and this is what I said on the pod, is that Bama had more individual game breaker guys on the offensive end of the ball. And that was going to be what ended Ohio State is that when push came to shove and it was time to make a play, Alabama guys who were going to do that and you weren't sure about Ohio State, that was just true. I mean, you look at the fact that Sean Wade was coming into this game as a first round, and this isn't a shot at Sean Wade. And Sean Wade and his father are a big reason why Ohio State played it all this year, right? The push that they started. Um, but with that said, I've never been that big a believer in Sean Wade. This is like a first round primo corner. Um, he's not the Jeff Okuda. He, he's not the Marshawn Lattimore. He's not that caliber of guy. And he, the, even the, the ward that they've had over the last couple of years, Gary on Conley, you know, Damon Arnett, they've been a factory of corners. And I feel like that just got shoved onto Sean Wade because he was the number one corner on the Ohio state team. So he must be a first round pick. Right. And I just don't see that as much, at least outside the numbers. So I, I figured Devonte Smith would have a big game because I didn't think Ohio state had any way to stop him. There, there was no player that they could throw at him to make um, his life hard. And that was true. And Alabama's offense was built off that because when you've got a guy who's going to get whatever he wants, whenever he wants it, most of the time, kind of hard to stop an offense that's one of the best ever if you can't take away anything it's not going to go well for you and Ohio State couldn't do that they could not take away anything and it all started with Devontae that opened stuff up for Mechie on the other side Najee Harris I mean even Jalen Waddle got his touches it's just unbelievable um watching Devontae Smith play in this game yeah and like and sometimes we get into a spot where you'll see I think the, the the best example of this is like the, the Houston Rockets in basketball where when they were going mega small in the bubble last summer um, yeah. and before that, and, and they were just like, you know, you can, you can get your twos, but three, three is worth more than two. We're just going to let you, it, it's almost the one guy can go get 50, but we're going to see if the rest of the team can go. It was almost like Ohio state was trying to do that where it was like, well, Devontae Smith can touch the ball as much as he wants to, but not everybody else is going to, but everybody else was also still doing things and they weren't cutting off any of the valves of Alabama's offense. So it was just another one of those games. Um, I, I think the more intriguing conversation and the more intriguing uh, competition, I guess, is is not necessarily what was on the field between Ohio State and Alabama, but what I was seeing in the second half of Monday night and as the game was kind of getting out of hand was the debates between what, what are the best duos running back and wide receiver duos in Alabama history. Um, and when, yeah. when you stack it up in terms of yardage and touchdown scored and such um, 
I think Devontae Smith and Najee Harris go down as the best one, even in a, in a year where we saw them two fewer games than we normally would have. Sure. I, I kind of got to wonder because Alabama's got so many of them at this point, right? I kind of got to wonder what it would have looked like to see Julio Jones and Mark Ingram in this kind of offense. Cause that's just Alabama would break your will and win 31 and seven. And that's just not how they do things anymore. And it'd be interesting to see, you know, what an RPO would look like where the run is Mark Ingram and, and the pass is Julio. It just, to food for thought, uh, there was a brief overlap of Derrick Henry and uh, um, Amari Cooper and then Calvin Ridley after that. Um, less so Derrick Henry with Amari Cooper. He was on the team, just kind of down on the depth chart for the first couple of years. Um, and I guess the, uh, Amari Cooper's freshman year, it was Eddie Lacy, I think, was still there too, right? But nobody is prolific. And I said this before the year. You said this before the year. When you looked at it, Devontae Smith was going to go down as the most prolific receiver in Alabama history. Now, he as, is long as, yeah, as long as he had like a normal season and he certainly right. eclipsed that. Right. And you can honestly say this is going to be insane. You can honestly say he's had one of the best college careers of any player ever. Mm-hmm. And that may be it may sound like a reach at face value. But when you think about where his legend was born, catching a touchdown pass to win a national title, like sudden death, as soon as he crossed the goal line, Alabama was raising a trophy. That's where it starts. And yeah, of course, he had to kind of wait around behind the Jerry Judys and the Henry Ruggs and split time with those guys. But then he becomes the first receiver since the 80s to win the Heisman and has maybe the most prolific season by a receiver at a high level ever. And this, it was cool to me that the, the game that we saw in the national title, and it sucks because he got hurt, and we could have seen him potentially push to get the 300 yards, maybe 20 catches. I don't think either of those things were off the table, especially because Ohio State kept enough game pressure on Bama for them to have to throw deep into the game. It sucks that that didn't happen, but to see him go out the way he did, dominating at a level that I have never seen, in a game of this magnitude, in any sport. That was pretty cool. Um, and Devontae Smith, hats off. You were the best player in college football this year. And you put a bow on a, a tremendous career. And I much success to you in the NFL. Yeah, I hope that he's everything that we think he'll be in the NFL. Um, I think that the, the 12 catches, 215 yards, three touchdowns, like – we're going to like right now we're thinking like, like you just mentioned, he could have had 300 yards. He could have had 20 catches quarter in the third quarter. No, and and, and he didn't catch a ball in the second half and he left with the, with the finger injury. And, and the funniest thing is that in 10, 15 years, the super casual college football fans who look back on the stats are going to be like, Oh, he had a hell of a game. Like they're not even going to think about that. He left with an injury. Like they're, if you didn't know it, you won't know it. And yeah. you'd have to look that up because the stat line looks like it looks like what what you would do on the old NCAA football video game, even if you were playing on a on a relatively easy difficulty. Um, if I'm being honest, playing wide receiver in that game, like as a as a career mode, was hard. And like Devontae Smith just makes it look super easy. So that's incredible. Um, 
we we also texted back and forth Monday night and disagreed a little bit about how good things like this and and non-competitive national championship games are um and it just left me thinking like who which team will go down as more dominant in your brain and your in your head uh 2019 LSU or 2020 Alabama LSU 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 beats this Bama LSU beat this Bama team they played and LSU won I'm sorry they were still LSU Last year's Bama team was more talented than this year's. But this year's Bama team had way more of a defined identity and knew what they were and had their star players, and their star players were stars. Um, last year's LSU team is the best college football team ever, and they beat this Alabama team, I think, personally. I can see it. I. It's interesting because you would – I mean, yeah, because – Tua, most people would believe, is better than Mac Jones. And you have Judy, you have Ruggs instead of instead of Mechie, which, I mean, Mechie's still really good, but he's not he's not what – You had Jalen Waddle. Yeah, you had healthy Jalen Waddle in that game. And – on the defensive end. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. I think it's LSU as well. So, two straight years, two straight – very very dominant sec national championships um is this the when is the end of nick saban coming i don't know i mean alabama this is the thing that i'm excited about next year in college football to just kind of punctuate this discussion about the national championship also justin fields i think you could tell that a the the juice of him being super prepared to get revenge on Clemson, like it felt kind of like he had summited the mountain, and his mission was done, and he was now injured after the last game. So his performance, him going for less than two hundred yards, I don't feel like got enough attention, but he was not great in this game at all. Anyway, aside from that. Punctuating this year and moving on to next year, what I think is interesting, and you brought up Saban, Alabama's going to be good. Good new quarterback. Was a guy that before the year, I mean, we thought was going to challenge Mac Jones for the starting job. I always kind of was partial to like Mac needs an opportunity. He was really good at the end of last year. Um, That said, you look at the, all four starting quarterbacks in the college football playoff are gone. Nine of the top 10 finishers in the Heisman are moving on to the NFL with the only one coming back being Brees Hall. I think next year is really fascinating because it is wide open and Alabama is going to be there again. And I would not be surprised if they're in the playoff and I would not be surprised necessarily if they end up raising another trophy. I pose the question to you after the game about Saban and whether or not 10 was impossible at the trajectory he's been going. It's been one national championship every two years, right? Every three the years. Last Over the last 12. Six of the last 12. Right. So, I mean, he'd be 75 when he got to 10 based on that arithmetic, which is not impossible. But that, um, that assumes he, he holds up to a pretty unbelievable pace. Sure, but they just—they're—they're they're gonna hire Bill O'Brien to be their next offensive coordinator, which is he's funny. Because, kill 
I literally texted, I, I said that to you earlier. I, I said, who's the next reclamation project at OC? And it like, <laughs> the like, guy that was like you know, the head coach at, at Penn State, you know, that brought their program from the brink of death back to resurrection, that guy, yeah, he's going to go be the offensive coordinator at Alabama. Dude, Alabama, and given Butch Jones is a guy who's got a, a head coaching record, right, but was an intern and got hired <laughs> as a head coach. <laughs> It's, it's honestly like Saban with assistance. It's the the laundry list of guys that he's won with as his OC. And that's like the difference between him and Dabo is Dabo's got the same dudes, every like the yeah. continuity of those assistants. And he pays right. them. Clemson pays them so much that they can just hold on to Brent Venables. Yeah. Chad Morris is like the only one that's left. And the thing with Nick Saban is like everything changes around him. And they still keep winning. Like he is the system. It's it's very like the closest thing I guess I can compare it to in sports in, in terms of him just winning with like name and name an assistant coach, uh, name a guy who's failed somewhere else. He brings him in, and they look like an un, like he got Sarkeesian the Texas job. Like he completely rebuilt the guy's image after what he was at USC and what he was at Washington. It's not like he was anything special. And yet Texas on Monday night, you see Bijan Robinson on his Instagram story going, this looks like a fun offense like that. He's, he's posting about this and I don't know, like, is that what we're headed toward? But it, the thing yeah. with Saban, it just, it, all of these things that he does with these assistant coaches, it, it, it just keeps reminding me of like LeBron winning titles with J.R. Smith and like guys like just complete projects and head cases that other people have failed with and making them look better. Like it, that's the status that Saban's at. He's football's John Wood. He's college football's John Wood at this point. He is in an unparalleled realm of greatness that I don't think we're going to see again, at least for 50 years in terms of his dominance. The only person who could touch him is Dabo at this point, at least currently existing in college football. No, it's ridiculous. You think of his coaching tree and the people that he's been involved with, uh, some of the biggest jobs in the country. It's not like little jobs, right? It's not like the mid-tier power five jobs are populated by his disciples. You, you think about, um, obviously, Kirby at Georgia. You think about now his offensive coordinator is at Texas, half the SEC is ex-Saban coaches, like only a hundred thousand seat stadium teams, like half of them are Saban coaches. That's just insane. It's absurd. Um, um, The last thing I'll say on this though, before we move on to college basketball, I'm going to say right off the bat, my, my favorite for next year, I've seen a lot of Georgia. It's Oklahoma to me by far. By the end of the year, Oklahoma was one of the best four teams based on how they started. They didn't have a chance to stack into the playoff. That's fine. Oklahoma is the team I'm taking, and it's wide open. I mean, I think that if I had to pick it right now, depending on what Kellen Mond does at AM, he's not coming back. And he's already said he's not coming back, mm-hmm. like you said. Uh, I think if they had run everything back, they could have been playoff good. But I think it. I know what I expect out of Georgia. I think I know what I expect out of Clemson. I think I know what I expect out of Oklahoma. And maybe, you know, C.J. Shroud steps in and Ohio State doesn't miss a beat, right? 
But I also think next year there is a high potential we see a new playoff phase, and I'm excited about that. I'm really excited. I hope so. I hope so. Because the, the stat that keeps getting thrown around is 28 playoff bids, and 20 of them have gone to Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. And I would like to see a little bit more turnover, and I think you're, you're talking me into it. You're getting my hopes up for next year, so I, I hope you are not wrong. Um, but quite a year. I'm glad that we had a season. I'm glad that uh, everyone who was clamoring for no football um, was wrong, and, and I think we understand the sacrifice and everything that went into it, um, and we appreciate everyone getting through uh I guess relatively unscathed is what we would say, but um, who are we to know really what the long-term health implications are of playing this season? So, all right, let's turn the page and talk a little college hoops. We had quite a basketball game tonight, Texas Tech and Texas. It was, it was the Mac McClung show, 22 points, um, hits the game winner, Toe on the line. I, I thought it was a three. I don't know how they overturned that. And if Texas would have made the three, I think most of the Big 12 would have been um, anyone who was in the, in the in the Big 12 title race probably would not have been uh, very happy with that replay decision because I don't think it was clear and convincing. Nonetheless, it doesn't matter. I think um, Texas led by 10 at halftime. Andrew Jones had 18 points, four of six from three in the first half alone. Very good to see that. But I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Do you think which what which of these two takeaways do you have? Because I put down it's one of these two or it's both of these two, and you could say I'm kind of leaning towards both. Um, classic Chris Beard coaching job or classic Texas shock a loss. Neither is that an option? You don't think it's either. No, I don't know how this was like a classic Chris Beard coaching. This game changed when Courtney Ramey with a two-point lead decided to chest pass the ball right to a Texas Tech player on an inbound. Like, and, and that was it to me. I, I think Texas was doing a good job of fending Texas Tech off, and then they made one catastrophic error. Texas Tech got the game tied in the late stages and were able to win it. That's how I viewed it. Um you know, Texas Tech is a team that's been hard for me to figure out. I think it's very much so a team that's still trying to uh, interpret its own hierarchy with all the transfers. There's not a single team in the country that's gotten more out of transfer guys than Texas Tech. When you think about their starting five, I think the guys transferred in this year, right? The Silva, McClung, and Burton. Like, what other good team in the country is like that? So they're still trying to figure it out. McClung, you know, weird thing about him today – was wearing Jordans, which he is very much so not allowed to do, considering Texas Tech is an Under Armour school. Like, what? But, you know, he stepped up and made the shot, and apparently because he was wearing Jordans, his toe was on the line. But that, that, that was just weird, and I wanted to make a little aside to that. I, I don't think Texas did anything badly here. I think Texas Tech is still one of the guttiest teams in the country. It's a team that in clutch I trust the most in the country. They're the most battle-tested there. I trust their guards. Um, I just think that Texas Tech stepped up and made a big shot and didn't leave Texas enough time to answer it. Greg Brown was terrific in the second half. I love him. Um, you know, you never want to jump with Jericho Sims. 
Another thing that I learned that's a dunker in college basketball right now. Yeah, I mean, okay, his game, like the guy gets a post. Yeah, it's it's he's a lob threat, and he, whenever he catches the ball in the paint and decides to do the smart thing, which is I'm not going to put the ball on the ground and dribble it, and he just goes up and dunks it. He dunks on someone. It's very it's very impressive stuff. I would lean toward it being a classic Chris Beard coaching job. Um, but I think you said it's neither. I think that it's both like leaning a little more toward the Chris Beard coaching job because as I texted you in, in the first half or early in the second half, and I said, I'm holding on to my Texas Tech stock because I think that it's going to um, skyrocket. Yeah, it's-, it's going to skyrocket in late February or early March because. I don't know if Terrence Shannon Jr. is necessarily what Jared Culver was. He probably isn't in terms of NBA prowess and such. Um, And maybe that limits the ceiling of this team. But like the last time, crazy to say, the last time that we saw an NCAA tournament game was that national championship game that Texas Tech played in. And that roster was was littered with transfers too. And it's, it's being built up in the same kind of fashion and same kind of manner. McClung had 22 tonight. Santos Silva had 12. Kevin McCuller, who is one of the big-time recruits that uh, – first big-time recruits that Chris Beard really got to Lubbock. And aside from being hurt a bunch, he's been good when he's on the floor. He had 16 tonight. Terrence Shannon Jr., I love him. I mentioned him in the Big 12 preview pod this year that I think he's an NBA guy, and he's a guy who's probably going to have more league success than college success. He had 14 tonight off the bench, and I think – um, he might come off the bench, but he's part of their five that closes the game. Um, and I think that this team, this team will only get better if Kyler Edwards uh, yeah. shoots better than two for seven from three uh, when he is probably, I would think is usually more of a consistent factor in terms of like, you know what you're going to get out of him more than Mac McClung. And so McClung stepping up is huge, but they forced 15 turnovers and one of them was the 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 Ramey pass straight to a guy to tie it up, yeah, and and nice. that that one is is shocking. And so that's where I'm like, it's kind of a little bit of both. Where Texas just like, if you are different than what you've been in years past, you don't blow a ten point halftime lead, and you come out of the half and you just continue to separate and distance. And they just let Texas Tech hang around at eight. And at six and then either three pointers or a couple of times they, they fouled Mac McClung on a three up eight late in the second half. And that like, that was the final dagger of like keeping Texas tech in and then, and then they pounced. So I think it's a little bit of both, but I, I'm just going to say, I think Texas tech is a team that you keep your eye on because the defense that they play and just the fact that they don't, they don't really beat themselves. They don't turn the ball over a ton. They only had seven tonight and they just have a lot of veterans and, uh, and, and McClung who is hit or miss, but when he's hit, it is a, a super, super fun ride to be a part of. Yeah, I, I just am not going to go there with I, – I, I see the beard part of it. 
and I really just do feel like it was a game where Texas Tech just made a couple more shots in Texas. Like, here's the other thing I'm looking at now. Stack up bench points, and although Texas Tech only got them from two players, they did get 18 bench points. Tech probably should have been a little bit more involved in the offense. Only played 15 minutes tonight, had some foul trouble, and that was part of it. Wasn't an easy matchup for him down low. But that said, I, I, how many times is Kai Jones really going to get you three? That would be my, my other rebuttal there. And Texas shot 52% from deep, and they did everything they needed to. I just I genuinely do feel like Texas Tech just made more shots down the stretch. I also I, I posit this to you. How good are the odds that we see four teams from the state of Texas in the Sweet 16 with Houston, Baylor, Texas Tech, and Texas? I think that's very possible. It's pretty – I'd say it's a pretty strong case that that – I would I – would, lean toward that being more likely than not happening. And if, if anyone is to not do it, um, I'm trying to, I, I, Texas tech is a team that I, I am very, very high on, very high on in terms of NCAA tournament prowess. Cause I think that Chris Beard is one of those guys who his team, like we get caught up in early January and we get caught up in, in late December in terms of people who flash and, and have these undefeated records and, and go into conference season undefeated and Texas tech getting kind of dominated by Houston early in the non-conference took them off that radar. But like beard has this Izzo to him, this Izzo factor type type of a situation where his teams get better as the year goes on. Um, Bill self is the same way. And that's why I think that consistently other than this little two year run that Baylor has had Texas tech. And if, as long as Chris Beard is in that conference, he is the one that is going to challenge self the most frequently. Um, His teams are the most well coached. His teams don't beat themselves. You have to go and beat them. And I thought that Texas was going to beat them because they made, like you mentioned, 52% of their threes. Like Texas, Texas did everything right except for turn the ball over 15 times. And they turned the ball over 15 times, and that's probably why they lost. Um, I don't think that they should feel bad about themselves, but no, we're going to learn. And we're going to learn even more about Texas Tech. The last thing I'll say, we're going to learn even more about Texas Tech this Saturday because they play Baylor. Yep. And I keep, and- I, it's been a while since we saw Baylor play a meaningful game. It really since Illinois early in their non-con. And then, and then we get, ba- we get Baylor, Texas tech and we get Baylor, Kansas on Monday. So two games in three days against top 15 teams for Baylor. Mm-hmm. So, so we're gonna learn a lot, a lot, so a lot, a lot. We will learn a lot, a lot about them. You, you know, another team we're going to learn a lot about, and we kind of did learn a lot about earlier this week, Michigan, they are going to the barn on Saturday and undefeated. Um, they beat Wisconsin handily went on a 36 to three run. They're 11 and 0, six and 0 in big 10 play. So my first question doesn't necessarily have to do with this Wisconsin game. We will talk about that in just a second, but I, I want to sit here and, and I think that we're almost at a consensus that Gonzaga, we are expecting them to go to the NCAA tournament undefeated um, and just run through their, their conference place uh, schedule. But 
what chance would you give Michigan to run through the gauntlet that is the Big Ten schedule undefeated? Hey, you, you're saying that they're going to be an undefeated team at the end of the year. No, no, I'm not. I'm saying what percentage? Conference. Well, I'm, I, they're not going to be – they're not a Bob Knight undefeated Indiana team. The, we're, we're seeing one undefeated team this year, and it's Gonzaga. And it, there is a 0% chance that Michigan does not lose in the Big Ten. Zero. Okay, I'm glad that was the percentage. Go ahead and say 10. I dare you. No, no, I was going to say 0%, so I'm glad that you did too. I was just checking to see what headspace you were in. Cool, cool, cool. Okay, good. Okay, no, no, no. This team is not going undefeated, but they are very good. I think they are closer. I don't know where they stack in perpetuity to Texas, okay? But I think they're a lot closer to the national title contender um, in the status of Villanova, Baylor, and Gonzaga than they are to like Iowa. I think that's being made very clear. We'll see what ha- – I want to see what happens when Michigan loses for the first time because that's bound to happen. Maybe – It's going to happen this weekend. It's going to happen this weekend. They, they need to go on the road because I think it's, what, three in a row for Minnesota that they've dropped now? Um, so pass the tires up. Let's get some gas in the tank. Mark, it's really not the booth mobile. It's just the mobile Marcus Carr. Let's go. But aside from that, no, I I just, Michigan, you just, you hit all these checkpoints, right? It's like, okay, Michigan's good. We saw this last year. They got off to a great start. They actually were an okay team, but not a great one. Uh, They went sub 500 in conference play. So they're, they're rolling through their non-con, and it's like, okay, they beat UCF by 20. UCF's pretty good. They beat Florida State. Okay, cool. Um, by the way, Florida State shot the highest, like, shooting percentage in the ACC since 2000 today. They shot, like, 72%. So shout out Leonard Hamilton. But they're not beating anybody. And it's like, okay, you, you have these checkpoints in conference because it started with not necessarily super difficult con conference games right playing the nebraska so the world had the pinnacle bank arena to take on nebraska and fred hoiberg not really scared about that one um and it's like it starts to ramp up it's like okay northwestern's on this front and they put them down as northwestern's not actually that good though they just got lucky for a week whatever okay minnesota coming to town Okay, they got Marcus Carr. He's been on the employer rankings. Minnesota, they beat Iowa. They're pretty good. Crush them. Okay, let's see how re- like let's really see how good they are against Wisconsin, your grandpappy's favorite overrated team. Probably actually not that overrated. They've been really good this year. Demetri Trice has been one of the best guards in the nation, and they kill them. And I, I do think part of this is the fact that Wisconsin – is a team that plays eight guys, and when their five best dudes aren't playing well, when those guys collectively get cold, as is been known to happen on a basketball court, they have nobody to turn to. There is no microwave guy off the bench, which I think happened in this game. They all went cold, and there was nowhere to go. And then all of a sudden, Michigan has scored 38 points, and you have scored six, and you have lost. 
but they killed Wisconsin. Uh, Michigan's really good. It's time to admit that. I'm still a little bit tentative. I don't know if they're a national title contender yet. I'm not going to go there. I don't think they're going undefeated, but they are very good. I don't think anybody would be remotely mentally sound to say that they're not at this point. Yeah, I, I think that I think that the thing about Michigan is in a in a league full of teams that have kind of pretty clear flaws. I I don't know if they necessarily have a clear flaw. They have a lot of things that they do above average or or um, pretty well. I don't know if they have anything that they do at an elite level. Um, they're sixth in adjusted offense, tenth in adjusted defense. They're just like a smidge behind Iowa in terms of, of the advanced metrics. But that's just because Iowa has an elite offense that carries their poor defense. Um, and I definitely trust Michigan more than Iowa. So I agree with you in that respect. I just am, am curious because the, the note that I wrote down is 36 to three. That was the run. That's not a run. Like that's what one seeds do to 16 seeds on Thursdays and Fridays at the NCAA tournament. Like that is what it is. That's yeah. That that's what that's what Kentucky does to Towson. That's not what Michigan does to Wisconsin in a nine versus seven ranked opponent ma- like matchup. But with that being said, that was kind of indicative of like what the Big Ten kind of is this year. In in that in a year where there's no crowds and there's no fans sometimes these teams are going on the road and I have this almost this blowout theory where we're seeing it a lot in the NBA of like non-competitive games where I think at some point because there isn't just these crowds and there's no, not even people rooting for you, but people rooting against you motivates you. And I think that sometimes when you're playing poorly and there's just no one in the gym, it feels like a really ugly scrimmage and things can just get out of hand. And there's just, there's not necessarily as much fight and there's not as much resistance because you know, the game's on TV, but it's not like you're embarrassing yourself in front of 15,000 people. And maybe that's just my thought, but that's like the blowout theory that I've had in terms of NBA and college basketball this year. And I think that the Wisconsin game was kind of, uh, a perfect example of that because they just kept self imploding and they just kept playing really poor non-fundamental basketball, which is like completely off brand for Wisconsin. Yeah. What's weird about Michigan too is they're at this point in the year and they're undefeated. I, I think standing at what 13 and zero at this point, maybe not, that might be Drake that I'm confusing them with undefeated teams, but 11 and 0. They played two true road games at this point, and they've been against bad teams. I mean, Maryland did beat Illinois, to be fair, but Maryland I don't think is that good a team. They've won in Maryland and Nebraska, and they'll play in Minnesota. So we'll see them on the road again against an actually good team. But realistically, like, they don't have a ton of significant road games throughout their Big Ten stretch somehow. So uh, I'm curious to see if that has any effect on how they played because it feels like all of their big moments have been at home. They're, they're only road games the rest of the way. They're at Purdue. 
um, here in the back end of the month. Um, they've got a trip to Northwestern. That's not that scary. They get Illinois at home. They're at Wisconsin. That'll be a tough one. That'll be interesting to see. They're at Ohio state. Um, that one will be fascinating too. At Indiana. And then they're at Michigan state. They get Iowa at home still too. Like a lot of their significant games are still at home. And I, I do think that might have something to do with it. You know, in a weird year, like Michigan's always been a team that kind of played a little bit better on the glossy floor for whatever reason. <laughs> this probably is me just saying nothing of consequence, but I, I do think that a lot of their success, although they are a very good team, and we can talk about specifically why here in a second about their personnel, because I want to do that. But I think part of their success is just that they've been kind of playing in a controlled environment in a very random and variable season around the country. Yeah. And, and like, I think one of the things that we always, I don't know if we necessarily forget it, but like it bears recognizing in that the big 12 plays a round Robin schedule. So everybody plays everybody home and away at some point, the big 10, to some extent, the formula, the scheduling formula determines some of your success. Michigan does not play at Iowa. They don't play at Illinois this year. That you have to recognize is a huge help for their chances to win the, win the conference championship in the regular season. So they could win the conference regular season title. And that might just be because they beat Illinois and they beat Iowa at home. And we don't see them go on the road against any of the quote unquote big three before the season. And other than Wisconsin, who we already know that like at their best, they are significant. I think that this is kind of an outlier for Wisconsin. Um, I don't think that they're like what everyone thought they were in terms of the defense being like historically good and carrying, carrying them. But that was out of out of character and a lot of it being out of character had a lot to do with the personnel that Michigan has. And just, I said, I said earlier, I don't know what they do elite um, at an elite level, but I do know that they have so many well-organized pieces that Michigan does what Wisconsin does with better athletes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can see that. I mean, like I said, I want to break down their personnel too. Cause I mean, Franz Wagner is just awesome. And is such a, a good defensive player. His arms are 86 feet long. And he gets all these deflections and has really transformed himself into one of the top tier shot blockers of a non-center and all of college basketball. The, the jump he's made defensively has been phenomenal this year. Um, not a lot of guys are as complete skill set wise as he is. He does a little bit of everything. He's going to get you about seven rebounds a game. He can shoot the ball pretty well, makes just over one three per contest. But if he needed to shoot more, he could. Um, some people think he's Duncan Robinson. I don't. Um, but one guy that I will compare to an ex-Michigan alumnus is Shani Brown, who is better than Olivier Starr from the Wake Forest transfers. He, he is objectively <laughs> better than Olivier Sarn. I love watching him play. He's got a little bit of Tim Hardaway Jr. 
to his game. Do you see that, like, at all? We'll talk about the other guys, but I I just want your opinion on Shandy because he's the guy who kind of takes him over the top for me. Yeah, I mean, I don't – he doesn't have the same type of role in terms of just, like, usage rate. He doesn't get used to the same extent, but I can – like, when he's playing well, you you can see traits that remind you of Tim. Yeah. For sure. Like I said, I think he's the guy who puts him over the top. Um, uh, I love everybody on this team, but Hunter Dickinson, I hate watching him play, but you have to respect that he's a seven-footer who's going to command a lot of attention. Um, Isaiah Livers is phenomenal, um, but doesn't have to be like the main offensive outlet like he was the last year at times, which I think makes this team better because he can just kind of do his heat check thing and go get you a couple buckets, but he doesn't have to be the entire offense. Um, they upgraded from Jeff George, Xavier Simpson, to a guy in Mike Smith who doesn't force nearly as much at point guard and has been awesome. The transfer from Columbia um, has been terrific. And then Eli Brooks just kind of does his job, and Johns just kind of does his job. And they've got just a lot of guys who, you know, kind of go out there and do their thing and, and call it a night. Um, and to say that they were unexpected might be an understatement. They're the biggest surprise of college basketball this year. Where did Hunter Dickinson come from? Like, I mean, I wasn't excited about, I was excited about Kate Cunningham freshman wise making an impact. I wasn't excited about Hunter Dickinson. I didn't even know who that was coming into the year. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't even, he wasn't even, uh, on the mid-season top 25 watch list for the Wooden Award last, like that was last week. And ESPN today released, or yesterday, released uh, a new top 25 players in college basketball list and Dickinson was ranked fifth. So yeah. it, like his his stock has skyrocketed re- recently. Right. Well, and like you look at it and it's like credit to, maybe we should have seen this coming. Juwan Howard was an understudy and disciple of one of the five best basketball coaches on the planet that's how he got his teeth cut in coaching with Eric Spolster on the heat so maybe we should have seen this coming but when you look at their guys all the established dudes coming back have gotten better and the dudes that they added have been hits Shandy Brown Smith and Dickinson and those are the ingredients of a team that is trending towards being in the pantheon with, to me, Texas, Baylor, Villanova, and Gonzaga. They're closer to that than not. And that that is – it's really cool to watch them develop into this. We'll see if they can keep it going. I want to see them punch Iowa in the mouth because that style, the way they play, is very different than the way Iowa plays. And Michigan is a team that does not take possessions off. And that's why they had the chance to win a national title, which is not what Iowa does. Yeah. And Iowa may have found something playing zone defensively uh, and just, you know, dipping into the Jim Beheim playbook. But I, I do think that the, this Michigan team kind zone of is for cowards. zone is for cowards. Yeah. Zone is for rec basketball and intramurals when you only have four players. Um this Michigan team reminds me a lot of 
<laughs> this Michigan team reminds me a lot of the 2018 team um, that got to the Final Four just with, like, a Wagner and his brother. Like, mm. his brother plays differently than him, but his brother is their best NBA talent. And other than that, I mean, obviously, Duncan yeah. – Duncan Robinson was is going to be the best NBA player that was on that that Michigan team, um, and we didn't realize that while he was there. But his yeah. shooting translated to the league differently. Um, but other than that, like the rest of it is just really smart basketball players who all fit roles, and and knowing roles is is a huge thing, um, and is why I think that Michigan can easily win the Big Ten and probably will make a, a good run at the big 10 tournament. And it, it seems like on alternating years, we either have Michigan or Michigan state um, prime for a good NCAA tournament run. And this year it looks like it's Michigan. So I wouldn't be surprised at all. And I think that, yes, I think that they are moving into that top like final. You should expect them to go to the final four. Last thing on Michigan, how weird is it that I think they would probably have been worse if they had landed Isaiah Todd and Josh Christopher? Really? I think, that, I think the fact that they're playing veterans. Yeah, I do, because I well, Hunter Dickens is not playing that. Like, I mean, yes, he was a four-star recruit, right? But if Isaiah Todd goes there, Dickinson is not starting. Yeah. Isaiah Todd is their starting center. If Christopher goes there, Shandy Brown does not. And I think the fact that aside from Dickinson, everybody who plays is a bet and has accepted their role is part of the reason why they're being successful. Like Josh Christopher just randomly, as much as I love Josh, just hucking up like mid-range contested jumpers with 20 seconds on the shot clock is not th- something that Michigan currently is doing. They're always looking for the best shot constantly there aren't possessions where only one guy touches the basketball. And I think the fact that they don't have to like incorporate freshmen into the rotation that much has helped them a lot. If I was going to play devil's advocate, I would say that I think that Josh Christopher uh, would benefit from the structure of Michigan's offense. And I don't think that like, I think that he would take them over the top. Like, I think that he would be the lottery talent that would, probably make them like the number two team behind Gonzaga. But that's, that's probably me being about as high on Josh Christopher as I've ever uh, publicly been in front of, especially in front of you. But um, that that's, I guess that's a difference of opinion. I, I can totally see your point though, that the, the veterans are what makes Michigan Michigan um, and will continue to give them success down the road. I'm, cannot wait for for them to go to the barn this weekend and and i think that uh when we release our game picks for the weekend on friday i'm interested to see um if we both end up taking marcus carr and the in the mobile um or if we continue to take michigan and, and their undefeated season both spelled booth i said booth booth of us Take me. I'm really working. <laughs> Just move on. I was trying to make a joke about how you, and then Booth Gotch's name as well. Keep going. Uh, next thing. What's next? Okay. All right. Let's talk about Kansas. Yes. Let's talk about Cade Cunningham, your favorite basketball player in in this uh, 
in the NCAA right now. Just just talk about him because this game wow. this game was interesting. Okay. The favorite player south of James. Okay. Get well soon, James. Um, but no, I mean, this was it was a weird game because it had uncharacteristic defensive breakdowns and was just losing guys in the back end of their defense, baseline cutters, um, guys just kind of standing by themselves in the paint because of, I think, what they were trying to do to try and keep Cade from getting into the lane. Um, Cunningham, to me, showed, and given I've not watched a ton of Oklahoma State so far this year, Cade looked the most NBA guy that I've seen in college, like even more so than Zion, or I think even Ben Simmons. Like you can just tell by the way he moves up and down court that he's built a little bit differently than a lot of the other guys. Um, some of the wraparound passes that he makes are just next level things that are, he could play in the NBA right now. And I don't think would have a problem and would go get you 18, six and six in the NBA today. Um, and he, he's just a special one-of-a-kind type player. The best player I think we've seen in college basketball talent-wise in a long time, I think better than Zion, to be completely honest with you, just in terms of, like, his skill set. The whole thing about him being Ben Simmons with a jump shot has been thrown around, and I think it might be true. Um, he's not as punishing as Ben Simmons, but I think he's a smarter basketball player than Ben Simmons, uh, and then Ben is a really smart basketball player. So – you watch him on full display. There is right now in college basketball, I don't think anything as exciting as when he rebounded and decides he's going to push it um, because you, he could make a, a three-quarters court bounce pass, lead a guy in stride for a dunk. Um, he could beat a guy to the rim and throw it down over him. He's just incredible. But it's not just him because he's not going out there and scoring 30. Likely has been good, but Oklahoma State's found production from a lot of other places, and I know you're going to expound on that, but credit to Mike Boynton. He's done, that was the big question coming into the year is, okay, Mike, you've been building the season for like two years now. How good a job are you going to do coaching this team? The answer is he's going to put them in the tournament if the NCAA allows it. Yeah, and, and I think that there's a case to be made that they are, I guess – they completely fell apart and uh, blew things against West Virginia last week. But there's a case to be made that they're the fifth best team in the, in the big 12 and not, not the sixth, like we've been saying the whole time. Um, Bryce Williams was incredible in this game. Like for them to have won this game, he had to be what he was. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. And, I mean, we can talk about the dunk at the end. Uh, the people, the Kansas fans were like, that was unnecessary. Need to shut up. I've never, um, I, I, first of all, I've not heard that. About this, but it, it, there, are, there are people out there. I think it's throwback, like Shades the Monmouth dunk from last year. And people are still like upset about that. The, the Monmouth dunk uh, in the fog at the end of the game where the guy stole the ball and dunked when they were down like 30. No, this was a live game situation. It was a one possession game. And I mean, if he stops, maybe he gets fouled, misses a couple free throws and Kansas hits a full court shot. No, this was awesome. That, that was great. 
dunk the ball as ferociously as possible. If you miss the dunk, who cares? Um, because the game's over anyway. But like in the the thralls of a late game situation, he's going a billion miles per hour. Go dunk the basketball. That that was fine. The fact that Oklahoma State put themselves again because. What's not being talked about is that Oklahoma State should be in the midst of a winning streak that includes Texas Tech, West Virginia, and Kansas. They blew a massive lead at home in similar fashion against West Virginia and lost. They uh, were on the, the bad end of a 17-2 to run here late in this game, and because of a big likely three at the end, were able to get it tied again, and kind of like Texas Tech tonight, were able to make the last shot and win, right? But – uh. No, the tech, Oklahoma State's getting consistent guys to step up in the supporting cast to support Likely and Kate Cunningham makes them a team that's going to finish in the top half of the Big 12 and is going to be a team that if they get into the tournament, because they've got those two guys, mainly Cade, are going to be dangerous. Not a team that you want to play because Cade Cunningham is the best player in college basketball. And they don't have, like, elite shooters, but they have guys who can have elite shooting nights. And if they get into the NCAA tournament, that's something that would win them some games. Um, I think that you mentioned it. So here, here's the thing. I think Oklahoma State, a lot of times people say you are what your record says you are. And, like, that is very true because yeah. – they win this game, even though they, they were on the, the wrong end of that 17-2 run, like you said, and that likely makes that three. He's a 29% three-point shooter and makes a massive three. And then Cade saves them on the defensive end. It leads to the run out. You know the rest. Um, that happens. So so they're on the right end of, of all of yeah. the critical plays last night. They're on the wrong end of all the critical plays against West Virginia last week. And then to go back before the little winning streak that they had, they lose by two to Texas. So you could say toss up that game could have gone either way. And if that happens, maybe we're a little more down on Texas. Maybe we're a a little more up on Oklahoma state. Um, I'm not sure why they haven't been getting more votes in the AP poll because they have the pieces and you would think that people would give them the benefit of the doubt because they have Cade Cunningham because if I remember correctly, maybe I'm misremembering, but when Ben Simmons was at LSU, people were trying to give that team every chance in the book to be good, and they just weren't. And this Oklahoma State team has shown so much more promise than that LSU team. Am I wrong? Yeah. No, you're not. I think part of that was that the LSU team – with Simmons wasn't it wasn't just Simmons right like Blakeney came with him to LSU and they had like Keith Hornsby and Tim Quarterman and like a, a bunch of other good play- like the LSU team should have been good not just because of Simmons that supporting cast was good this Oklahoma State supporting cast we didn't have a lot to expect from um, Avery Anderson the third has been a revelation for them uh, I'm just looking at his production from like this is a guy last year that shot seven percent from three and is shooting 43.8 percent this year and it's not like he played no minutes like he played 15 minutes a game last year so that's been huge that came out of nowhere um and they've just kind of gotten good production all over the place and i mean likely 
is a guy who's going to be a really good rebounder as a guard. Like you look at Oklahoma State and their two leaders are their point guard and co-point guard. Likely is averaging eight rebounds a game. Cunningham, Cunningham's averaging six. They both pass the ball decently well. Um, obviously, Cade's a little bit better of a scorer, but behind those two guards, all you really have to get is about 35 points of production out of your other guys in good defense, and you're going to win. And most of the time, Oklahoma State can achieve that. Yeah, especially against the bottom of the Big 12, they should be able to. Um, on the Kansas side of things for this game, I think that interesting things to note, um, I don't think a lot of people would – this kind of is like a – very under maybe maybe I feel that it's an underrated stat, but maybe you wouldn't find it one. Um, in the 14 trips he's made to Stillwater as KU's head coach against his alma mater, Bill Self is six and eight. Did you know that? I knew that Gallagher Iba had been a, a bugaboo for them. I just remember it being kind of a tough place for them to go win. Marcus Smart beat them, I think, Marcus's freshman year, correct? On game day. And that was kind of like his coming out party. Yeah. Um, it's all, I know it's been t- – this has got to be the only place he's got a losing record in the league. It, yeah, it's the Maybe only anywhere. place – it's the only – well, no, he has a losing record against West Virginia, I believe. I think it's like two and three or two and four. Um, but they've won the last two years, so it feels like they've won more. I'm in West Virginia, but yes, they lost Marcus Smart freshman year. He went in and won in the field house and did the backflip on the Jayhawk year two college game. day went to Stillwater. He won and they stormed the court. Um, So yes, it feels like, it feels like I'm not going to overreact to this one. I, there are certain things that I think are worth uh, being a little bit weary of if you're a KU fan, Um, but I'm not going to overreact in terms of KU because this kind of felt like the old, Bill Self hands his alma mater a win. Um, and they just like – most of the time when they lose there, they lose in head-scratching fashion or they lose because they did something – they didn't do something that seems so simple. Like once they went to that 3-2 um, or triangle and two zone, they kind of really slowed down Oklahoma State. And it was like, Bill, why didn't you go to that earlier? So I, I don't know if that's it, – it was, it was a combination of that defensively and then it was just – David McCormick should never take 18 shots. He should never take 18 shots. I don't care how good he's playing. That's fool's gold. That is fool's gold. He took 18 shots. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, like it, it you didn't realize it, but I definitely could feel every time he shoots, it takes a piece of my soul out of like just away from me. McCormick shouldn't shoot 18 times in three games. Yeah, he should. That's, I, I wrote down 18 shots is six to 10 too many shots, depending on the night. And I don't know if it's, it's just because I have more of a microscope on this program, but this Kansas team, because they don't have like, because Marcus Garrett was supposed to be their best player. And now we know that it's, it's probably Jalen Wilson or Ochai. Um, I don't know if there's any team in the country that has its success dictated more by its shot selection than this team, because when, when they take the threes that they should take, and I, I don't have any stats to prove this. I don't have anything other than my brain and the feeling that I get, but when they take and make like one of their first three threes or two of their first three threes, 
it seems like the floodgates open up and they just take a bunch of them. And in, in, in that's the way it was against West Virginia. When they take them and they miss them, like they did against Oklahoma State and like they did against Texas, it gets ugly. And then they just kind of try to bang their head on the inside, throwing the ball into McCormick or Marcus Garrett tries to do these straight line drives. And the Marcus Garrett straight line drives don't work nearly as well when Yudoka Azubuki's not there to lob up the, the for a dunk because McCormick's not good at that. And it just it just gets clunkier. It gets way clunkier. So I I'm not worried about Kansas, but I will say that there are nights where you just know it's going to be a loss because as soon as they start missing threes, I just wish that there was a little bit of an I'm going to shoot like I'm going to shoot this ball no matter what gene in Christian Brown because David McCormick sure as hell has that gene and if CB did or Jalen Wilson sometimes has it. If CB did, that would change this team. If you could just give McCormick CB's personality and CB McCormick's, it would be a massive difference maker. Oh, yeah. It'd be, it'd be and this Kansas team, when they play team offense, it's one of the best offenses in the country. But over the, the last couple of weeks, it's devolved for whatever reason, and they're not playing the level of offense that we saw from them early on. And, I mean, consequently, they've struggled. They, they maybe should have lost Oklahoma at home the game before this. Um, and that's sandwiched in between two not-so-satisfactory results with them losing to Oklahoma State, losing a little bit earlier in their conference run as well. Uh, it's just Kansas, Kansas is in a little slump right now, and they got to wake up soon because the meat of their conference schedule is coming up. They're going to see Baylor. Obviously, they already got throttled at home by Texas. You rarely see that happen to a Bill Self team twice. But they'll go to Austin, and we'll see what will happen there. They got Baylor twice, so we'll see. But Kansas got to—they got to perk up. The the easy ones in the league are not necessarily going to be there as much this year, aside from Kansas State and maybe to a lesser extent TCU. Well, yeah, like they made TCU look like easy work, and it was an easy twenty-five point win or whatever it was last week. Um, and I'm sure that's what Iowa State's going to probably be this this coming Saturday. But then we get we get to see KU and Baylor on Monday night, and so I, right. I I'm sure we are very excited for that game, um, and we are very excited for this new segment, or at least Peyton is because he gets to talk about his beloved James Book Night. It is pros and cons. So yeah, pros and cons, as in UConn. It's con with two ends, as in Connecticut. You know, it makes more sense when you, you can see it. But this is literally going to be just me talking about my favorite team in college basketball and saying what's good and what's not so good. So let's start with the cons. James Booknight is hurt. That sucks. Um, he had an operation today on an elbow injury that he sustained, I believe, in the Butler game. No, it was the Marquette game. Um, he gets hurt. And you think, okay, there goes the neighborhood, especially with Jackson getting knocked out, their star freshman earlier this year, who's going to be a contributor off the bench in a growing role. He has an injury, I believe, to his wrist early on in their schedule. And, and for UConn, they're a team that didn't get much of a non-con. They only played, I think, four games, only one of substance against USC. So like a lot of teams in the country – needed to get conference wins and you get really worried now about a team without their best player in, in a tough league in a night in night out basis. But 
the pro has been without James Book Knight, UConn has won all three games. Um, given they've not beaten exactly any world beaters, right, in the process of this. But to get three wins in the league, especially considering all three have been on the road, massive credit to Dan Hurley. They've won all these games handily. One at Marquette by 11. Marquette beat Wisconsin earlier this year, so they're not horrible. One at Butler by 12. Was not necessarily in doubt in the second half. And pulled away from DePaul late to win by seven there. And it's been a mix of guys stepping up for them. They've got to cook a cook back, which is good. And he's starting to grow into a little bit more of a role. He only played three minutes against DePaul. Uh, just trying to get back in shape, uh, and we'll see what his role is down the stretch. R.J. Cole has picked up a little bit of the slack as a distributor and more of a primary ball handler. The Howard transfer, I was really excited about him. But it, it, the biggest guy has been Tyler Pauly, who over the course of these games has been in double digits each game. Um, you look at the stat line, in the three James Book Knight list performances for UConn, against Marquette, 23 against Butler 19 and then 12 against DePaul. All of these are off the bench and he stepped up and picked up the slack book. Knight's going to be out for two to four weeks. They're saying indefinitely, but um, after the operation, it's looking like that's going to be the timetable. So that that's a positive. They also, uh, you could, this is probably not quote unquote positive, but I'm going to spin it that way. Cause you are the UConn PR Illinois? man. Yes. I'm the UConn PR man. Their, their next game was supposed to be Villanova. That's been postponed because Villanova doesn't play basketball games. Um, so they get to avoid that until potentially book nights back. St. John's at home, highly winnable game. Xavier at home, okay, that's going to be tough. But they can pull that out. Then Creighton on the road, that's going to be really hard. You know, they already lost to Creighton, and they were at home and had book night. And book night dropping 40. Yeah, that would be kind of a miracle if that happened. But uh, then it's Butler at home. They've already beaten them without book night, and they're at home this time. Then at St. John's. And then you might have book night back whenever you you get to the back end of your schedule where you've got the Seton Hall at home at Providence, which could be a tough game. Um, Xavier on the road, like these games at the end that are going to be tougher. And then of course you got to play Villanova potentially twice. You could have book night back for that. And you could legitimately see somehow, despite all the injuries, despite everything, UConn in a fight to win the league. And that would win Dan Hurley coach of the year nationally. I think aside from maybe Jawan Howard. Yeah. I think Jawan Howard is currently the runaway favorite. I wonder honestly, if Mark few maybe gets a run at it, if, because Gonzaga is going to go undefeated and such. But I honestly was just here for – I thought that the con, the the entire con – I know that James Booknight is hurt, but the sub-con of the main con is uh, the the Booknight and Poi candidacy is is down the drain. Um, and I know that as we tra- as we transition into your end Poi power rankings um, – that hurts your your soul and and that coupled with texas losing tonight is just like a dagger to your heart well okay listen 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 hear me out though 
Shabazz Napier did not win national player of the year. <laughs> Neither did Kemba Walker. Both won tournament most outstanding player. And that's really the one that matters at the end of the day. So I think this is going to be good for UConn. Actually, let me, let me, the PR man is really spinning now. Um, because all these guys that are supporting cast members for James Booknight in a lot of ways are going to develop their games and they're going to become more confident and they're going to be the guys that are going to be the Jeremy Lambs in the tournament. They're going to be ready to take the shot. And I think that's going to be really important for a team and why I think UConn can still be a national title winner. I, I really, I, they had the composition of all these other UConn teams. I think it could happen. And I think this actually could be like when we look at the documentary about how UConn won their fifth national title in 21 years. And nobody knows how because they just didn't make the tournament in the years in between. It's going to be because Booknight got hurt and everybody else stepped up. And when he came back, UConn just took off. So how about that for a pro? That, that's some major PR spin. You should go work in their communications department. Um, I, I will say if, if <laughs> the, the, the biggest if in the history of, of this show, if, if UConn actually does go to the Final Four, if UConn somehow wins the national championship and they do make that DVD, the championship DVD, um, they will include clips of you predicting it in November. So – that's a pro. That's quite a pro. But let's oh, speak. I'm doing the. Yes. <laughs> yes. So let's go to your National Player of the Year power rankings. Um, updated. It's three pretty familiar faces. And then one that we just. The, the fourth spot at this point. I feel like we, there's a solid top three. Maybe there could be some developments that change the third spot. Because I don't necessarily know if Kispert yeah. one or Luca two is going to move. Maybe they'll swap around it, depending on um, if Luca does anything special or if Kispert kind of fades a little bit, or Gonzaga doesn't necessarily, uh, or Gonzaga leans on Drew Timmy, Jalen Suggs a little bit more. But I feel like at this point, the fourth spot is kind of yeah. the like honorable mention. This guy's having a hot stretch of two, three games, and and cumulative, cumulatively over the season, his numbers are incredible as well. So you have Cade Cunningham there. Explain the thought process. Explain who missed the cut by just a little bit. Yeah, well, I, I would just say with Cunningham, and I'm sure there's somebody out there that's putting up more um, complete statistics, right? Um, I know there's a guy at Winthrop who's, like, challenging to be the all-time triple doubles leader. Um, has had, like, four already this season. Shout out to Winthrop. I'm pretty sure they're still undefeated. Good team out there in the Big South. But uh, Cunningham, you're not going to find a more complete stat line in college basketball, I don't think, this year than Cade Cunningham's at just under 18 points per game, just under seven. He's at 6.2 rebounds, 3.8 assists, a block, and 1.2 steals. Like, hey, he's just going to be that dominant, influencing the game at every level. And he's going to do that all year. And I really do, Gabe, think that we could I, – I may not change this list for a couple of weeks. I think that's possible, depending on whether or not these guys actually play because of COVID postponements, because that's a hard quantifier. It's like, okay, a guy didn't play for a week. Do I move him out for somebody else because he's not played for a week? 
I'm not sure how I'm going to handle that when that comes up. We've not really had to deal much with it. Um, but IO has been ridiculous. I, I honestly think to this point in the season has probably been the most impressive of any player, um, considering, again, you know, the well-roundedness of his stats, not necessarily the defensive impact, but offensively putting up like NBA numbers, you're not going to find a lot of guys in the country that are going to put up like 23, seven and five, seven and six every night. He's been ridiculous. They keep losing these weird games though. So I can't, I moved him up and they lost this week and lost badly to Maryland. So that says something about him. Luca is going to do what Luca does. And the only way he moves down is if Iowa starts losing. And then that, that's just the bottom line there. Kispert's the best player on the best team maybe ever. So yeah, Whoa. he's number one. Well, that's very much so in play for them, right? I mean, it's going to be one of the most prolific offenses of all time. They're going to finish the year having beaten pretty much anybody that can hold a candle to them and challenge them because they played everybody in their non-con. We'll see if they end up scheduling the Baylor game. But yeah, I, I think it's not preposterous to just say that. It's certainly the most dominant team that I can remember. You're just shaking your head no. I, I don't understand why. Because the defensively, analytic, like they're not uh, an elite defensive team. And I think I that if LSU, you're either was LSU in football, it didn't matter. They just outscored this everybody. Is, this is not football. This is not football. A hundred points per game. And that's why they are elite. They're not the they're not one of the greatest teams of college basketball history because they're not they're not elite on both ends of the floor and they allow other like they comfortably allowed West Virginia to score in the 80s. They let this Kansas team score 90 on them even though they dropped 102 on them. Like yeah. <laughs> I understand how great their offense is. I understand that they are the title favorite. I picked them to win the national championship. I picked them to go to the final four and I've said that I think that they'll probably go undefeated. So Based on that, there will be these conversations. Defensively, the way that they play defense, being I think right now they're ranked like 20th in the country in adjusted defense efficiency. That's a number that if they played, if they played a normal Big Ten or Big 12 schedule or such, they would have two or three losses. They they would not run through the league like SEC, like Kentucky did in the SEC. I don't believe that. I 100% I believe that. Because they played the best of the best in their non-con. They did. They pretty much played a Big Ten regular season. Maybe not to that degree, but they played but, like the hardest non-con that I can remember, and they mopped everybody and were never really challenged. They they certainly got pushed by West Virginia. Kansas had it tied in the second half. If they played that night in and night out, if they played that night in and night out, it's college kids, Peyton. They have bad nights. The difference is a bad night against Pepperdine is you win by eight, a bad night against Oklahoma state or West Virginia or something like that is you lose by two or three. That's what happened. I ask you how much of that comes down to everybody on the floor thinking Jalen Suggs just tore his Achilles and then he comes back and they pull away. Nah, I don't know. You just, you just don't want it to be. No, this is the LSU of college basketball. No. 
scored 35 on LSU that year, and it didn't matter. Gonzaga is going to be the most prolific offense in the history of the sport. And yeah, they're going to be one of the best teams ever. And to get back to this whole endpoint thing, you have to give it to Kispert because he's the best player on that team. Yeah, I agree. Um, they are, they are. I agree that Corey Kispert should win the end point. I love this stem from something we definitely both agreed on without question. <laughs> yes, Corey Kispert's going to win the National Player of the Year award because it's hard for Luca Garza to one up anything that he's done. Well, right. But, but there we are. All right, let's get to scholarships and sanctions and then go. This has been kind of a mega pod because we had so much to cover because of the COVID situation that I talked about at the start. So let's start uh, any scholarships, any sanctions that you've got for this week. Sanction NCAA, you Mark Emmert, the National Collegiate Athletic Association. What are we doing? Uh, This is just preposterous at this point because I'm not going to get into all the uh, in good trust laws and all the things that are, are going into this, but uh, they've stayed the decision. They're kicking the can down the road on this thing about players getting their name and rights likenesses and and the money that goes along with that. Right. The more that I've read about this, you start to realize how diabolical it is. You finally feel like the NCAA is turning a corner and then realize the only reason this is happening is because they have to, because some States like Florida are considering making laws mandating that college athletes can be paid. And then you hear the NCAA is trying to lobby Congress to make sure this doesn't happen. And then you're willing to, as a governing body, just flat out lie and somehow say that state legal action and and national and federal laws somehow prohibit college basketball football players from transferring and not having to sit out when literally in other sports, there are no laws governing that. Like what is going on? I don't know. If you want more information than me trying to babble about it while I'm charged up, read about it. Matt Norlander has done a really good job covering this issue, but what's going on with the NCAA right now is ridiculous, especially in the midst of a pandemic and, and makes you want college programs and conferences to just secede from the whole thing because it's just a leech and provides nothing of benefit. They do not care about the college athletes. NCAA, just, not caring about athletes. They just put on some really good tournaments, which is is uh, uh, about what you can say about them. Um, I, I guess the, the silver lining in terms of that respect of – not liking the NCAA is that it seems to be um, even if they go to Congress, which I mean, Congress has significantly bigger things on its plate right now. um, It seems as if the name image likeness and and all of that kind of things, those are relatively bipartisan um, issues and have bipartisan support from both sides of the political aisle. And so I know that this is going to get drawn out over a period of time, but I don't necessarily see Mark Emmert like winning way down the line. Maybe he does because the NCAA is, is this entity that continues to get its way. But 
I don't necessarily see it. With that being said, my sanction also goes to the NCAA, but it goes to the NCAA for a different reason. And uh, that's for them withholding Sharif Cooper's basketball skills from our eyes and the Auburn roster for this long because um, Auburn is must watch now that Sharif is playing. We Tonight they played Georgia. Saturday he played Auburn. Against Auburn he had 26 points, 9 assists, 4 rebounds, 3 steals. Against Georgia, he had 28 points, 12 assists, 5 rebounds. Stat sheet stuffer, he makes Auburn way more fun. And this is the most fun I've had watching Auburn since Jared Harper and that team went to the Final Four two years ago, which obviously is not that long ago. But, like, but like it's a lot of fun to watch this team play basketball. And, that can, and, and their record doesn't necessarily indicate it, but they're fun to watch, and he is a blast on the court. I like it. I like it. Um, let's keep it in the state. Scholarship to the University of Alabama for handing Coach Cal his biggest loss, I think, since he's been at Kentucky. At home. The Bama's in first in the SEC, people. The must bus is a thing that's happening at Arkansas. It ran into a train. Um the bus gets crushed by the train named Will Wade and the American Gangster, who I'm going to give another scholarship later. But Holland Oates, Nate Oates and the boys, even without Javon Quinterly, by the way, are playing really good basketball and killing everybody. They beat Tennessee. They're beating everybody that's getting put in front of them. Shout out to Alabama. Scholarship to the Tide. Winning a national championship in football, it doesn't matter. They're a basketball school anyway. Yeah, the most impressive thing that that athletic department did is what they had going on in Lexington, Kentucky on Tuesday night. That was the the biggest home loss in John Calipari's time at Kentucky and is honestly a more impressive accomplishment than Nick Saban's sixth national championship at Alabama and seventh all-time. Um, my scholarship – goes to the big 12 um probably not for why you would think what what do you think i would be giving big 12 a scholarship for for allowing one of their teams to intentionally hire somebody's brother so that they get the number one team player in the country (laughs) no no that's That, that is not it that is not it Um, It actually has something to do with a game, which I think you and I will definitely, I I don't need to say, I think, I know you and I will definitely have an eye on on Sunday. It is Patrick Mahomes versus Baker Mayfield. The showdown of all showdowns. The big 12 is getting this PR because we are going to hear about the Oklahoma, Texas tech game from 2016 in which Mahomes threw 88 times for 734 yards. Baker threw for seven touchdowns. It's that in playoff form for the NFL Chiefs and Browns on Sunday. I know you and I are very excited for this. Uh, The run it back tour continues. And I just want to say scholarship to the big 12 because uh, ESPN and every major outlet is going to give them all the publicity about that 2016 game and there's probably a million or a million or more like little feature stories, oral histories being written as we speak about that game. 
Yeah, no. And I mean, we already played this out when they met in the regular season last year. But it is the storylines don't just stop there. This is going to transcend the Big 12 thing. But like, also, Travis Kelsey's from Cleveland. Like, there, there's a lot of cool stuff going on here um, in that game. Um, nobody talks about this, but Nick Chubb kind of ripped Baker Mayfield's heart out in the Rose Bowl one time. That happened. I don't, that has nothing to do with this, but just to tie it back to college athletics. So, yeah, go Chiefs. Yeah, and, and I just – that game had so many highlights. I can't believe Oklahoma put up 62 points and Baker only threw the ball 36 times. Like 36 times was for, for a college football game, and Mahomes threw for 88 times. 88 passing attempts is just a, an absurd stat. But yeah, that's my that's my second that's my second yeah. and that's my scholarship for the week. I only had two, so I had a light a light slate for this week. I actually have more than you. That's incredible. Um, scholarship to Will Wade, the American gangster. He says, if I'm going out. I'm going out paying five-star freshman, and I'm going to give him the ball because he gave the ball to Cam Thomas, and that guy's just a treat to watch. Like, yeah, they got Trenton Watford who's sporting some crazy new hair. Uh, he's got, like, the front ponytails, but it's also combined with, like, Iodasumu's, like, bosky dot look. It's kind of crazy. Um, they got a lot of good players at LSU, and I was not expecting, like, Cam Thomas to lead all freshmen nationally and scoring, but he's going to be a guy who averages over 20 points per game this year at LSU, and it's going to make himself a lot of money, and it's been really fun to watch. LSU decimated Arkansas today, which I wasn't expecting at all. Beat them by 20. Um, we'll see what LSU is in the postseason, but I got to say, Camp Thomas is one of the more exciting surprises in the entirety of college basketball and a scholarship to Will Wade for finding him and then giving him the keys to the team. I think that the SEC has just been like the league of surprises. Like everything that's happened in that league has shocked me at a, to a certain extent. I know less about the SEC than I did before the season. Yeah, <laughs> that's where we are. Is that all your scholarships and sanctions? It is. It's all my insight for tonight. I am absolutely gassed. All right. It is very late, very early in the morning on Thursday. So we are going to wrap this thing up. Once again, thank you guys all for listening. A little Megapod as we are, uh, as you heard at the, at the start of the podcast, a little situation for, for COVID. We're hoping to get over that, hoping to get back to Phoenix uh, and, and set up the little studio in Peyton's apartment and do an in-person podcast. We haven't done one since March. It's been so long. We've been Zooming for all this time and can't wait to get back to a little bit of our own sense of normality. Um, once again, thank you for listening. Like, rate, review, subscribe, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you, wherever you listen to your podcast. Peyton Gallagher, I'm Gabe Schwartz. See you next time.
check. Hey. Everybody gotta know that we next. Yeah. Doesn't matter if it's Sunday or a Monday, you know that we flex. True. You can never make it more obvious. You checking for the heat, that's cold. That's cold, that's cold. Headed to the top of the top of this. You can never reach these hoes. in the booth and we spin the truth. Hey. We inspire the youth and we get to the loop. You do what it does and we do what it do. We turn to the max and they got you on mute. You. Ooh, flow so high, so you know hey. I had to run it back. Blazes the ball, and we running hey. like a running back. Gabe brought chalk, so you know hey. we have it from a dead. Turn you in the so you know hey. ain't no coming back. Now we done with that.